Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. Today we're going to be talking about baptism, a very important topic, and a topic about which there's a lot of confusion and disagreement. So we're going to be talking about this today. Joe Works is here with me, and Chase um, Byers, also Drew DeGrotto, is going to be joining us. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon, Joe. Uh, hello, Jeff. I think I'm one of the guys, too. But yeah, um, good to see you today, all of you. Chase? Hey, guys. Good to see you. Drew? Drew, you need to turn your mic on, or I need to turn your mic on for you. There you go. Hi, how you doing? All right, and we are live, and we are recording, right? Yes, we are. All right. Uh, If you are watching by Facebook, you can send us comments in the comments section, and we'd be glad to get your comments or questions, and we'll try to address them on the air today. I don't know if you call this being on the air as as a webinar on the air. Um, it's uh, whatever it is, it's where you can, where, where we'll try to address your questions. If you're joining us by means of the Zoom app, this little Q&A uh, icon, either at the bottom or the top of your screen, you can use that to send us comments and questions. So when we talk about baptism, there are three things really we're going to try to do. We, we may venture down some other paths today, but we want to talk, first of all, just is baptism something, the baptism that is so essential, the baptism that is described in the, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, for example, as being into Christ, is that a water baptism or is that a Holy Spirit baptism? What is that? So that's the first thing that we're going to be talking about. And then after that, uh, a lot of people have the idea that baptism can't be a requirement. It can't really be necessary. It might be a good thing, but it can't be necessary because if it were necessary, then you'd be being saved by works. And so we're going to talk about that for a little bit. And then finally, uh, baptism has some significance that pertains to how we should be living if we've been baptized. And so we'll talk about that for a little bit. Does that sound like where we're going, guys? Exactly. Good. Three-point lesson there. Three-point lesson. So let's start with baptism. Water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. What is it? Where do you want to start, guys? It might be helpful just to recognize that both of them are present in Scripture. Sure. Uh, and so you know, we, we see a baptism of the Holy Spirit um, uh, in the book of Acts. So we do see Holy Spirit baptism, and of course we do see water baptism. John the Baptist was baptizing in John chapter 3 and verse 23 in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there. And of course we see the Ethiopian eunuch, he was baptized, uh, Philip, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he was baptized. And, and so then the thing is, though, There are people who will say, and this is usually people who are saying that water baptism isn't necessary. We will come to passages that that connect baptism with coming into Christ. And I think, you know, most of us who get to the point where we're debating baptism believe that Christ is the means of our salvation. It's his death that saves us. And Paul, in Romans chapter 6, and Galatians 3, and Colossians 2, and 1 Corinthians Chapter 12 connects baptism with coming into Christ, coming into Christ's death, coming into Christ's body, which would seem to make it the point at which I begin a relationship with Christ. I'm not already in Christ before I'm baptized. Those passages seem clear enough that people end up saying, 
Well, people who don't believe baptism is necessary say, well, those passages are not talking about water baptism. The water baptism was something the Jews did or whatever, but they'll say those passages are talking about Holy Spirit baptism. So let's read those passages and then let's talk about them. Let's start with Romans chapter 6, and I think I'll just read maybe four of these passages here real quickly. Let's start with Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading in in verse uh, 2, and uh, probably just read down through verse 5. So Romans chapter 6, yeah. Before you read, uh, the word baptism is kind of a... uh, uh, even the word itself is kind of a debated topic. It might be helpful to just define that word, particularly here in Romans 6. Sure. So uh, the word baptized, the word that we have in our language because of the influence of the Bible, because of the Greek word that is used in these passages, the verb is baptizo. And so what we've done is just kind of turned that into an English baptize. And then what has happened in the religious world People have attached their various understandings of what that means to the word. But the word baptized was to dip, to plunge, to immerse, to cause somebody to be immersed or to cause something to be immersed in water and, uh, or, or whatever liquid I suppose you could be immersed in. And so that's, that's the basic meaning of the word. And certainly that's what we see happening when people were baptized by John or uh, by Jesus and his disciples, or by Philip in Acts chapter 8. So let's read this passage in Romans chapter 6, and if one of you guys can turn over to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 and have that ready, and then if one of you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and about verse 13 and have that ready, um, then I'll read from Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 2. Paul says, We who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? Of course, we'll come back to this at the end of the webcast today in our third segment. So if we died to Christ, how shall we any longer live? Or if we died to sin, how, how shall we any longer live in sin is the idea. And then he says, or are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. I'll stop there. That last verse, again, is something we'll be coming back to in the third segment. But the third verse talks about being baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death. Got the next passage, one of you guys? Yeah, Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So, again, in verse 27, you see that you are baptized into Christ, and therefore you are clothed with Christ. It is Christ that you have put on, similar to the language used there in Romans 6, that you're walking in newness of life. You're walking and then joe do you have the passage in first corinthians uh chapter 12 verses 12 and 13 or what yep yep i think that'll work for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ we were all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit so 
in uh, Romans chapter 6 and in Galatians chapter 3, the language is baptized into Christ. Sounds like you're not in Christ until the point of baptism, and then you are in Christ. And, and in Colossians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, the language is into the body of Christ, which would be the same thing as into Christ. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, the language is having been buried with him in baptism, uh, wherein you were also raised with him uh, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So again, the picture is baptism is the point at which an old life ends, is buried, and we are raised to begin a new life. So baptism is pictured in these passages as the turning point, as going from dead to being alive, as going from being outside of Christ to being in Christ, as going from being outside of the body of Christ to being in the body of Christ. There's no salvation outside of Christ. Salvation is in Christ. So this poses a problem for those who would say baptism isn't really essential. It's not when you're saved. It sounds like it is. So the response that people sometimes come up with is these passages are not talking about water baptism. They're talking about Holy Spirit baptism. So that's what we want to address now. Are these passages talking about water baptism, or are they talking about Holy Spirit baptism? How would we know? Well, uh, since I've got the one here in 1 Corinthians 12, I'll deal with that one maybe uh, to, to know that. I think context is often extremely key and, and very helpful. Uh, and so he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Elvin made to drink one spirit. You look back, he's, he's just finished talking about that two chapters earlier. Uh, and so in 1 Corinthians 10, you know, ignore chapter breaks and, and see, you know, connections like you would in anybody's letter. Uh, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed to the sea, all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And then he goes on, and what he's doing is he's making a comparison to their baptism in Moses' baptism through the Red Sea, water on each side, the walls, the cloud over top filled with water. So they were baptized in the Red Sea. He's making that comparison for our baptism. This was a water baptism. And so he gets over to 1 Corinthians 12. He's not introducing baptism. He talked about that previously. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, and just to add a couple of comments, in chapter 10, what you have is an admonition to the Corinthians. Um, they seem to be just taking some, some uh, too much confidence in their baptism and the fact that they ate the Lord's Supper and kind of thinking that, well, we're Christians. We've been baptized. We eat the Lord's Supper. So if we go into the idol temple and we have our fingers crossed. In other words, we go into the idol's temple, and we don't uh, acknowledge the idol mentally as being anything, then that's all right. And Paul is reminding them there were people before them, the Old Testament Israelites, who had been baptized unto Moses in the, in the cloud and in the sea. Just pause there. The Israelites coming out of Egypt, coming through the Red Sea, a wall of water on either side, the cloud above, it's a picture of them being surrounded by water. And so Paul can point to that and say, that prefigures your baptism. 
They were baptized and they even had a spiritual food and a spiritual drink, and yet they did not make it to their promised land. So you Corinthians, who've all been baptized. So again, the language in First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we were all baptized into one body. Now it does say in verse 13, in one spirit or by one spirit, depending on your translation, were we all baptized. So I think there's a point here to acknowledge, and that is that baptism in, in the New Testament, water baptism, is not merely an outward ritual. It's not merely getting dunked in water. It's being moved by the Spirit of God, working on the heart. Um, John 3, uh, verse 5, Jesus said a man is, has to be born of water and spirit. Um, so, so I think that's the point here when it says, verse 13, there's one Spirit in which we were all baptized. And, of course, his point in chapter 12, verse 13, is, is to talk about the unity of the Spirit. When you were baptized, it was all one Spirit. It wasn't that you were following different spirits. So, all right, I think that's pretty plain there that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're talking about water baptism. Maybe even more plain in Romans 6. Let's talk about that one just a little bit. Here, I think the point is in verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him through baptism uh, into death. Verse 5, if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. To be able to refer to baptism as a burial makes sense because why? And and baptism, it literally means buried. It means being immersed and dipped in, in the water. You are completely immersed. You are completely baptized. So they go down into the water as Jesus goes into the tomb, and then they come up out of the water like you've been buried and raised. And, and so it's, it's not just some random comment Paul makes here when he says you were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death. If this were not water baptism, if it were Holy Spirit baptism, the reference to it being a burial would be kind of random. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, he, he draws the whole uh, scenario for a person becoming a Christian. Christ was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose. We crucify the old man, verse 6, with Christ, uh, verse 4. We are raised to walk in newness of life, verse, uh, verse 5, uh, 4 and 5. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a parallel picture. This what happened to Christ. This image of our old man repenting of our sins, save ourselves, the death of the old man, uh, being buried. Let's while we're on this, before we go to the next topic, let me remind our viewers: if you'd like to send us a comment or a question, maybe you believe these are not talking about water baptism. Maybe you think that we've missed something here that would prove these are not talking about water baptism. Uh, please send us a comment, a question, and we'll take a look. Uh, but one of the things that you often see people saying is that baptism, and here they're talking about water baptism, must not have been very important in Paul's mind. Um, because in First Corinthians chapter one, yeah, it's Ch- yeah, I'm sorry, Chase. I'm, I'm pointing to Drew. Oh, Drew. Yeah, I I don't know if you went to First uh, Peter three because no, we didn't go there yet. Go. Oh, you were planning on going there. I don't want to get ahead of you. No, go. But well, P- Peter is using the example of the 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 flood. 
That was water. Well, well, oh, it was water. <laughs> the flood was water, and he says, and by the same way, what this is uh, in verse First uh, Peter three twenty one. It says baptism, which corresponds to this. Previously, this was the flood, which Moses was saved through that flood. Baptism, Noah. which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but a, an, an appeal to God for a good kind. This is all water. And then the second thing is, if they're saying, well, no, it's baptism, those that's uh, Holy Spirit, aren't they saying that there are two baptisms then in the Christian faith? There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit and there's a baptism of water. That's two, that's two types, types of baptism. But Paul talks about uh, there's only one baptism. Which one is yeah, it? I suspect, I don't know this, maybe if, they, if we have some viewers who are watching who believe that most of these passages we're talking about talk about Holy Spirit baptism, you can let us know what the thinking is. I suspect those who hold that view would say that in Ephesians 4, where it talks about there being one baptism, I suspect some of them would say that's talking about Holy Spirit baptism. And that the water baptism is obviously an optional thing then because it's the, the one baptism that's really important, they would think, is is Holy Spirit baptism. Yeah, Chase? Yeah, if I may, too, I just want to comment and actually get your all thoughts on the Galatians 3 passage. Uh, I do believe Galatians 3 is talking about water baptism, and I'll tell you guys why, but maybe I'm missing something. You guys can help bring it home. Number one, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the only place in Galatians that Paul mentions baptism? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, to my knowledge, it is. And so I would find it odd if he is meaning Holy Spirit baptism because of the context. He has just got done addressing that everyone has sinned in verse 22, and all of them have this common bond in this baptism that is getting them into Christ, but also that they are clothed with, which I think is pretty symbolic of the idea of being immersed and completely covered uh, and so that would be my reasoning why I think he's talking about water baptism here um, and how they're bonded together through that. Yeah. And, and then just the language baptized into Christ, which is similar to Romans chapter six and Galatians. The whole letter of Galatians is so similar to Romans. You would suspect he's talking about the same thing as in Romans and in Romans, it's a burial. So it's water. But this passage provides next, a nice segue to the next segment that we're going to be talking about. And that is, if baptism is the point of salvation, then doesn't that make an emphasis on baptism? Doesn't that say we're, be, we're being saved by works, which we know is false? Um, this passage provides a nice segue because what people do is they, and, and Paul does this, puts being justified by faith versus justified by works. Those are, are opposites. Those are opposed to one another. But here in Galatians, as he talks about baptism, he puts baptism with being justified by faith. So we'll start in verse 26. For you all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What does he say? You become sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Listen to it again. For you are all sons of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. He's, he's clearly putting baptism with justification by faith, not with justification by words. 
isn't the problem, uh, Jeff, from that era at that time was because the works that people were talking about or Paul's is works of law of Moses, and that some Jews were considering that they were righteous because of their obedience to the law. Yeah, yeah, and Paul argues here we're not justified by the works of the law. Um, and so, you know, we go back to verse 11, Galatians 3, now that no man is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous shall be, shall live by faith. Um, so, all right, then why is it people think baptism would be a work? And, and what would being justified by works mean? What would that look like? Well, it would mean that since I am going and physically getting myself wet, and someone is physically dunking me in that water, that is some work that we exerted from our own bodies, and therefore, because I did that thing, I am now saved. And it's the focus and the idea on it's something I did, therefore, it's the work that I did that saved me. And and this, I think... I think that's an important point that that when people say baptism is a work, really what they're thinking is if you have to do something, which is is the same thing as saying if salvation is conditional. Mark mark this down, people. If you've been troubled by this question, if you've had trouble figuring out whether baptism is, is work, salvation or not, the doctrine that says baptism can't be necessary because then you'd be being saved by works is a doctrine that's really saying you don't have to do anything to be saved. Salvation is unconditional. You don't have a choice in whether you're saved or not. God does it all. And the Bible clearly says God provided the sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross. That takes away the sin. But we have a choice whether or not we're going to be a part of that. Joe, are you trying to add something there? Uh, No, but I will. Um, So, and just in understanding that whole concept, one of the things that helped me was when it was presented in this way, particularly from the Romans 6 passage uh, that we read earlier, is that who is correctly following uh, God's commands in the New Testament is being baptized, thinking, I am doing something to earn my salvation. What they are doing is, like Romans 6 what they're doing is acknowledging that I can't save myself. I need to put that old man to death and be raised with Christ. So far from being a salvation by works, it's an acknowledgement that I cannot save myself. Chase? Yeah, uh, just real quick, too. Jeff made mention of Colossians 2.12 earlier. I'll read that again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Right, right. That's a really comforting passage for me. And that's the thing. When we, when we are baptized, that is exercising our faith. Are we going to be able to physically see the forgiveness of sins? No, that, that's not something we can see. But we have faith in God that he's working in that baptism to forgive us of our sins and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because when we're baptized, we're being connected with Jesus' death. We're baptized into his death. So we're putting our trust in his death, not in our own works of righteousness, not in our own ability to make ourselves righteous. People had to do something in the Bible. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Uh, 
I don't know how much trouble it was for him to get out of the chariot, but obviously he had to get out of the chariot. They didn't drive the whole chariot into the water. So he gets out of the chariot. Well, that burns some calories. Does that mean he's working his way to heaven? You know, there was a guy who, just a, a little tangent here, there was a guy who was recently baptized who burned some calories. Uh, Drew, you want to tell us a story about the fellow who burned some calories? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it, thrilling. Uh, I didn't burn the calories, but um, we had uh, three members, uh, three individuals who were studying for, for several months coming to services. And two weeks ago, we, we, they sat down, get ready to go to, uh, to worship in our worship service. And Ted says, come here, Drew, we need to be baptized. Blew me away. Make a long story short, we ended up going down to Lake Wallen-Paulpeck up here in Pennsylvania to baptize Ted, his wife, Judy, and their son, Eric. And as we're going through each one of being baptized, Judy came in the water first. When we walked down there, by the way, we had a choice of going down to where the cove was or where the uh, where Gary Gerber has his, his boat in a little area. You can walk into the water there. Gary said, no, we'll go down to the cove because it's a little quieter and peaceful. I said, okay, cool. We're walking down there, and I notice across the cove there are people standing or sitting in a boat in a dock, about eight or nine people. Didn't pay much attention to it. I went into the water about 10 or 12 feet from shore up to my waist. Uh, Judy comes in first. We go through the process, you know, baptizers. As she comes up out of the water, I hear applaud like crazy. And I looked on the shore, and I said, no, our brethren's not applauding. I look at the guys on the boat. The people on the boat are applauding. Uh-huh. That's cool. I said, that was best. Then Judy starts coming into the water. And as she's coming into the water to be baptized, I notice from that, the corner of my ear, someone jumped in the water and started swimming across the cove. I, I just let it go in one eye and out the other, okay? So Judy, we baptized Judy. And as she comes up out of the water, more applause. Yeah, everyone's clapping. I, I'm getting excited. I'm, wow, that's pretty cool. And then Ted comes in, finally. Ted walks into the water, comes in. We baptize. By this time, the fellow that swam across the water, or cove was standing on the shore next to some of the brethren, and then he starts walking in the water. And as Ted, Ted comes up out of the water, more applause. Ted starts walking towards the shore. And this fella, I'd say in his early 20s, walks up to me, and I'm saying, okay, what's going on? And he said, sir, would you please baptize me? I said, wow. I, I, what? Excuse me. I mean, <laughs> I, I said, do you, we started talking. I said, do you know what you're saying? Yeah, I've been studying the Bible since I was 13. So it's maybe for 10 years now. He's about 22, 23. And he said, I know I need to be baptized. And, and I was telling this with my father. And, and he said, well, find someone to get you baptized. Well, where? I don't know. Who? What? What? Because he was studying on his own. And he said, this is what really blew me away. He says, and just an hour ago, we're on the boat talking. I was talking with my girlfriend and her mother about Jesus and baptism. And you come out into the water and start baptizing people. I knew I had to get over there. <laughs> so, so that is a great story. But now, and obviously that guy burned some calories to get to where, to get to you. Because yeah. he saw you doing the baptizing. There's a woman in the Gospels who probably burn some calories. Jesus is surrounded by a great crowd, so much so that they're pressing upon him, and he can't tell who touches him. But this woman had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she was desperate for healing, and she made her way through the crowd. 
the account in Matthew just says, and behold, a woman who had an issue of blood 12 years came behind him. But as you go on and you read the story, you get a sense of the crowd. That would have been some effort. Would anyone say that because she made some effort to get to Jesus, that she was she got her cleansing, her healing by her own works? And no, it was an act of God. It was an act of God. She was putting her trust in Jesus. People, there are things we have to do. God has put the ball in our court. He said, you've got to make a choice. But this woman wasn't cleansed from her disease or healed from her disease by her works, and we're not going to be healed. And the guy who came to Drew and he swam through the water, it's not the swimming that is the reason God's going to can give him eternal life. Not, God's not going to say, wow, you're such a good swimmer. You deserve eternal life. No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that will take away his sins. Amen. And put our trust in God. It's the God who we're putting our trust in who said, if you want to be in Christ, if you want to be a part of his death, you need to be buried with him through baptism. Chase, you were trying to say something there. No, I, I, you all need to dock my pay because we have a few comments and I haven't been up to date on them because the discussion's been going where it's going. We will dock your pay. Okay. All right then. Well, uh, number one, uh, Holly Green uh, says, the problem I have with talking to people about baptism is when they give me a blank look and start arguing with me. I can't come up with the patience to keep talking to them. Um, and then she says, the people I'm referring to are of the belief that, that all they have to do is, is say a prayer to be saved. And to that, I would just say, you know, keep, keep teaching the word, keep showing what's in scripture, Joe. So, uh, let me touch on that one. Then maybe I'll come back to another point that was made earlier. Um, uh, uh listen, two young men in, uh, Madison, Indiana, Dennis Stodgill and Vince Connors, uh, working in a grocery store. And uh, I got a job there. They started studying with me, asked me to study. I agreed finally. Um, they were persistent in that. They ended up baptizing, I think at the time, eight people out of that little grocery store in southern Indiana. Um, not everybody remained faithful, but I'm thankful that they kept up with me. They spent about a year and a half with me. Um, so uh, please, you know, if somebody's willing to talk – there's really no reason to argue about any of this. It's not our truth or their truth. If, if they want to study, then by all means study and keep asking. Uh, you know, I think that's the thing that really helped me was that these people showed that they cared about my soul. Um, that's what, that's what Dennis and Vince did for me. Amen to that. You said you wanted to go back to another point. Well, I just think that whole idea of um, thinking that somehow baptism is that we're saving ourselves can you imagine, you know, the, the song of Moses in Exodus 15, after they cross over the Red Sea um, uh, and, and they turn back and see that they have indeed received deliverance. That's the word that's used there, I think, in Exodus 14. Um, stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Uh, imagine them singing the song of Moses. Look what we did to save ourselves. Right. That would be bizarre. It'd be blasphemy. Be foolish. On the other hand, if they'd stood over there after having been delivered, and they started saying, "But you know, we we didn't really have to come through the sea. We didn't have to walk across. That that was that was optional. That would have also been foolish." And the same thing can be said. Uh, Drew pointed out earlier, First Peter three twenty and twenty one, referring back to the time of Noah. Uh, when Noah comes out of the ark and the world has been purified, he's been saved, 
by water, the text tells us in 1 Peter 3. For anybody, now, he did a lot of things in order to, uh, you know, he had to obey a lot of commands of God, building the ark and so forth. Would, any, would, would he or his sons or, or you know, any of those eight souls think we saved ourselves? It's a great manifestation of the power of God there. You know, we've already made the point that 1 Corinthians 10, talking about the Corinthians' baptism, is connected with the Israelites coming through the Red Sea. In other words, when the Israelites exited Egypt and they came through the water, that was a foreshadowing of baptism. And in, in Exodus chapter 14, where we have the story of the Israelites coming through the sea, remember they were in slavery before that. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. And it's when they come through the water that they are definitively free. They look back and see the Egyptians' bodies dead on the seashore. They, now they're free. We were enslaved to sin. We come through the water of baptism and we're made free. But the interesting thing is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 30, at the end of the story about coming through the water, in a passage that clearly foreshadows baptism, Paul says it does, makes the point, makes the connection in 1 Corinthians 10. It says this about how the Israelites were saved. It says, thus, Exodus 14, verse 30, thus, in this manner, in this way, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Amen. That's exactly. so that was the point of salvation for them. It foreshadows baptism. What does that tell us? Joe? Yeah. Uh, you brought something up that I, it just hit me when you were referring back to that first Peter comment. The scripture says that and water saved Noah, right? Right. It wasn't the boat. No. Isn't that interesting? The, the, the text tells us he was saved, that they were saved by water. The, the, that's one of the things that I think is also helpful in the discussion of baptism. And I don't want to get too far off because there's so many things, important things to discuss here. But water baptism, uh, water being a, an element of salvation or purification, was not something new to the Jews. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, it's not like the Jews had never seen water before. They had not made any connections with the importance of water in the relationship with God. There was all kinds of acts of purification through the book of Leviticus. Uh, you know, they, they recognized those connections. John comes on the scene and is baptizing people. That's not a completely foreign thing. In fact, no objects to the baptism it, it seems that they were they were well prepared for that unfortunately people today imagine that that's just a brand new element in the new testament and it simply isn't mm-hmm. um if i can guys just for a second uh number one joe i really like your point on the red sea I, you can do the same thing with the walls of jericho can you imagine if afterwards they, they would have just oh look what we did um, but by the time you get to Acts 2, I, I think it's important to reflect on He's just preached the fact that the Christ, the Son. Lost the audio there. I lost Chase. Thinking that baptism is, is a work. Did you guys lose me? Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. You guys there? Yeah, we're here. Okay, go ahead and make that point again. You're coming in clear now, I think. I apologize. So I'm just making the point when Peter preached his sermon, 
uh, that the risen Christ had come and, the, and they had killed him and they needed to be baptized. I, it, it's hard for me to them thought, well, that's a work. No, that, that, that's you, not thinking so Chase, you alluded to the walls of Jericho. This is kind of interesting because the Israelites were told, it's obviously an act of God, walls fall down. They, the walls didn't fall down by the work of the Israelites. The Israelites walked around the city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. They blew trumpets and shouted. What, they, they, they knocked the walls down by the rhythmic tromping of their feet? No, that's not what happened. It was an act of God. And yet they had to do that. And yet Hebrews 11 verse 30 says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. So here's the point. Something can be by faith, by trusting God, but that faith or trusting God is expressed in doing what God said. Naaman's another story, the yeah. Naaman the Syrian. Um, so that leads into one of the questions that uh, one of our viewers had. Um, the question is, obedience, is it a work? Certainly, there's a sense in which obedience is, uh, we, we are created in Christ for good works, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And yet, it's not works in the sense that we can stand before God and present our works to God and say, here's what justifies me. My obedience is not going to be the thing that makes me righteous because my obedience doesn't undo the unrighteousness that I've committed. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can cleanse me, that can take away my sin. All right. Um, maybe, maybe we've talked about that probably not enough, but we have just a few minutes left here. We want to move on to the third segment of this discussion. And, and Joe, why don't you take us here? And this is kind of talking about the fact these Bible passages that talk about baptism in Paul's writings, especially you may have in mind some other passages are talking to Christians who have been baptized, and they are making a point. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, so when we study through, we can see from the gospel accounts, John introducing baptism, Jesus being We didn't even touch on that one in Matthew 3, which I think is just a huge, hugely important uh, point to make. But carry on through the book of Acts, there's a number of baptisms that occur. It shows very strongly a biblical pattern for people coming to the Lord, being baptized into Christ. Uh, but then all, many of the passages we've relied on today to discuss, they really aren't talking to the non-Christian. They're talking to Christians. They're talking to the Christians in Rome or in Corinth uh, or in Galatia or in Ephesus. Um, uh, you know, Peter's writing to Christians. Uh, and so those passages, their primary intent, I would suggest, is not to convince us that baptism is necessary. In fact, I think the, what their purpose is, is to remind us as Christians what baptism did and where that ought to put us right now in our relationship with God. I may not be saying that perfectly, but the points that I try to make with that is the fact that those passages are assuming were baptized, and he's using that as an argument for the way in which we should live, that even makes the argument of baptism even stronger. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Well, just to, to read some passages we read earlier, but thinking about them in this light, Paul in, in Romans, he's writing to people who've been baptized, and he's making a point about, all right, what does that mean for you now? 
And what he says it means is we can't be living in sin. Because we were in sin, and when we were baptized, we, we put to death the old man. So listen to it again. Are you ignorant? This is starting in verse 3. Are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now remember, he started with the question, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, no. We who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? And you say, well, what do you mean died to sin? When, when did we die to sin? He says, are you ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptism marks a death, a death to an old way of life. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. When you were baptized into Christ, there was the end of an old way of life, and that means the life you're living now needs to be a new kind of life. And so his admonition to the, to the Christians in Rome is, live that new kind of life. And so people who think of baptism as just kind of a, a one-and-done thing, you get baptized and then, then you can go about your life and live your merry way, they're really doing the kind of thing the Corinthians were doing. When the Corinthians were trusting, in fact, they'd been baptized, and then going down and eating in the idol temple or justifying fornication or whatever it was they were doing. Paul is saying, no, look, when you are baptized into Christ, End of the old life, beginning of the new life. New creature, as he says in 2 Corinthians 5. And so the, the, those Corinthian passages, uh, again, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, he's pleading with us, don't get lost in the wilderness. Right. We, we, we've come through, we've received salvation from God, don't get lost in our wilderness. It's 12, uh, you know, he's making the point that, that we, we have been baptized into this one body, we need to act like one body then. Uh, we are, we're no better. We don't, it's not, that we don't need anybody else. We do. It's not, that we're not uh, important. We are in the body of Christ. And then we didn't even touch on first Corinthians one, uh, where Paul uses baptism uh, as an argument to not be divided. Mm-hmm. And he, he touches there on the importance of baptism because we're baptized in, into Paul. <laughs> Certainly not. You know, Paul's the rhetorical question there. Absolutely not. We're baptized into Christ. And so you ought not to be divided amongst other people then. So he's constantly using these baptism passages from Romans to Revelation. And uh, those writers are to make applications for us as Christians, reminding us how to live. So in other words, another way of saying this is if I've been properly baptized, if I've been truly baptized into Christ, that should point to a new ethic by which I live. I'm not going to be dividing up with a party spirit against other people in the body of Christ because we're part of one body. I'm not going to be living in sin because sin is put to death. It's the old way of life. I think that's kind of what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. Well, well stated. But, but you're right that it does then underscore the point that baptism was the turning point. Baptism, you know, I, I was seeing a, a website yesterday of a church here in the area that at their website, they talk about salvation and they talk about what's necessary for salvation. And among the things that they mention, they say uh, immersion, baptism into Christ for the remission of sins, that's necessary. And then they have a section where they talk about, do you want to be baptized? And they tell you when their next baptismal service will be. And you can register for it. And then when that baptismal service comes around, then you, you can get baptized. If baptism is the turning point, if it's the point at which we go from being lost to being saved, we go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ, we go from being 
uh, dead in our sins to alive through Christ Jesus, would I want to put it off for a week or a month till the next baptismal service? You would think it would be something that you would do right then. And what do we see in the New Testament? What's, what do we see? Do we see people putting it off? What do we see? Very good point. Well, answer it. <laughs> Constantly, it is immediate. You know, they stop the chariot and get out. Uh, you know, it, it's the uh, same hour of the night in Acts 16. Yeah. So, it's so an immediate action. It, and you never see a hint of, well, how about next month? You know, I love the story of the Ethiopian unit because Philip could have so easily said to them, not out here in the middle of nowhere. We've got a nice baptistry, baptismal pool. Next time you're in Jerusalem, let us know and we'll schedule it then. No, right now, right here. I, I, know, I know of a group in Kentucky. Uh, it was a Baptist denominational group. But this is not all that uncommon in Kentucky for them to have vote uh, a panel of people to take a vote on whether or not someone can be baptized. And, and like you guys are pointing out, that's just not in Scripture. And, and they usually, when they do that, they're trying to determine whether they have enough evidence that the person's already been saved, which says they misunderstand baptism in the first place. But, yeah. All right, guys, we're out of time. Thanks for the discussion. Thanks for to those of you who participated and sent us comments and questions by Facebook. I think we got to a couple of them. We may not have gotten to all of them, but thank you for your participation. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.